victorious warriors win first and then go to war, while defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. Well, welcome everyone. I'm so glad that you guys are here today. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here at Arise Church Denver, and we're all about helping people follow Jesus. We want to help you follow Jesus for you in turn to help others follow Jesus, because following Jesus is the path to the fullest life and the only path to eternal life. And I just want to let you guys know I love you. I'm glad that you guys are here. God loves you. Um, and I think someone around you needs to hear that too. Could you turn to somebody beside you and just say, God loves you? Okay, thank you. And if you're online, you can type that in. Put someone's name next to it. God loves you too. Okay. Um, we are in week three of Satan's schemes, and <clears throat> we're going to learn that there is an enemy who wants to devour us, but we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We fight from victory. You know, um, the other night we were watching a movie, and I think it's when we were watching Bugs Life. Okay, so something real scary. And um, we're watching as a family, and our two, three-and-a-half-year-olds, our twins, they were getting a little scared. There's some, some parts in there. Those bugs are scary in there. Okay, Sarah's nodding. You know what I'm talking about. These bugs are scary, and it's getting a little tense. And I think one of, uh, I think it might have been Evie, was a little scared. And McKinley, who's six-and-a-half, leaned over to her and said, it's going to be okay. The good guys always win. Because in every movie we've watched so far, the good guys always win, right? And Melissa has told her that numerous times when McKinley's been afraid, and now she's passing it on. Because uh, in these stories, yeah, it might get scary, it might get tense, the bad guys might be really scary, but at some point, the good guy always wins. And though that might not be true in every movie we watch, it is true in our lives and in our world. The good guy wins. Okay, so even though we have an enemy who is scary, things get tense, and we'll see today that we have an enemy who wants to devour us, to destroy us, we know who wins ultimately. And we don't fight for a victory, but from a victory. So we got a ton of ground to cover today. So I want to dive straight into the scriptures. We're going to um, park for a little bit in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. That's our main scripture today. But we will actually be all over the place today. So if you have um, your smartphone, it might be helpful. Um, use the YouVersion Bible app. Download that um, on the bottom right-hand corner, it says more. Then in the middle, it says events. Find our Rice Church Denver event. You can see all the scriptures we'll cover today. Take some notes. Save it right there on your phone. Um, but let's start in 1 Peter um, chapter 5, verse 8 today, as we are in week 3 of Satan's schemes. In verse 8, Peter writes, Be alert, verse 8, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking like a roaring lion, looking for someone to what? Devour. devour, okay? That's where this scheme of Satan, that word comes from, devour, because our enemy is like a roaring lion. So in this series, we're looking at different schemes that Satan has because we should be aware of them to be protected from the attacks of a real supernatural enemy who is Satan and all of the fallen angels with him that we call demons, um, and in this series first, we saw that Satan's like, first tactic is to deceive, that he is a deceiver and he gives us not just lies, but half-truths, bad interpretations of truth, hides the truth from us, and we need to be prepared to fight him with the truth that Jesus sets us free. Last week, we saw that he doesn't just lie, he also makes counterfeits. We saw that he is someone who distorts the truth. And though um, he, he counterfeits religions, he counterfeits Christians, he even counterfeits himself as the judge condemning us for our sin. 
So those are two of Satan's tactics that we've learned that we can be aware of and how to fight from. And today we're gonna see this third tactic that he wants to devour us. And there are three of these tactics we're gonna look at today with un, under the umbrella of his devouring. Um, and this isn't exhaustive, but these are the three main ways that he seeks to devour us. Because we did see that Peter, who was fully aware and had personally experienced the attacks of the enemy, says that this enemy we have is like a roaring lion. So that's the image he wants us to have in our mind, a roaring lion. And as you can just imagine, this is not just like a, a cute little cat that you can pet and put on your lap, okay? This is a lion that will eat you alive. He's prowling, looking, hunting. He's hungry. He wants to eat. And the word devour there is a word that means to swallow whole. It's the same word that's used in the book of Hebrews to describe what happened after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, then the Egyptians went into the Red Sea after them and the sea devoured them. It swallowed them whole, it drowned them alive. So you can just imagine what Satan is wanting to do here is to swallow you whole until you are destroyed. And this is a little bonus point here. Um, just, just think if we can stretch this metaphor a little bit, who is it that lions go after? If you think about it, if we're a herd and we're actually called the flock of God, all right, we're the sheep, and who would a lion go after in the flock? The weak, the wounded, and the ones away from the flock, right? So I just want you to know that. If you are weak and wounded, Satan is coming after you. If you're hurting right now, beware. So we'll talk about it in this message. And definitely if you're away from the flock, I mean, you are easy pickings. And I say this because some of the worst advice you will ever hear, and I've heard Christian therapists give this, is that if you have been wounded by a church, well, just stay away from church for a while until you can heal. That's some of the worst advice because, yeah, you might have been in a bad church. Don't go to that one, maybe. Go somewhere maybe that you can get some healing. But don't be away from the flock because those are the ones that Satan wants to devour, and I say this as your shepherd. Did you know that's what my job title means? Lead pastor means I'm the lead shepherd of this church. I'm actually the under shepherd to the chief shepherd who is Jesus himself. But my job as a shepherd is to watch out, to protect you from the lion, okay? I wanna protect you, I wanna warn you. And that's why sometimes I say even hard things, hard truths, because I care about you. I love you and I wanna protect you from the lion who wants to devour you. And that's why we need to learn today these three ways that Satan seeks to devour us, these three tactics of his. And the first one, you guys ready for this, if you're taking notes? The first one is sin. Pretty simple, right? Sin. This is what maybe you thought you were getting into when we had a series on Satan. It takes week three till we get to sin um, because he does tempt us into sin. He tempted Eve at the beginning. He tempted Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. And in 1 John 3.8, I'm sorry, 1 John 3.8, we read this. When people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. The devil has been sinning since the beginning. He turned away from God and what God had told him to do in pride. And he leads other people into sin. That's why he tempted Eve. That's why he tempted Jesus because he wants people to go into sin. And if you keep on sinning, you actually belong to the devil. He's won. He's devoured you. Now that word is a verb that's in the present tense, meaning it's keep on sinning. So if you continue to live in sin, choosing sin, you are devoured by Satan himself and he will destroy your life. Let me just show you in the book of James, how James, which is, who is Jesus' 
brother, he explains how sin works and how it can lead to us being devoured. He says that each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. So there's this image here. There's a temptation, a bait put out there with a hook in it, right? And when you sin, you have that desire and then, then you go to the sin and the sin grows and changes and takes a hold of your heart so much that it doesn't just conceive, it gives birth. And then after that sin has given birth, it grows into a fully mature person who will kill you. Okay, do you get, get this imagery that James is using? And this is what Satan wants to do. He wants that sin to stay in your life, to keep on in your life so it will devour you. Let me give you an example of how this happens. There's a temptation, maybe someone that you are sexually attracted to. And then you have in your mind this lust. So your mind begins to give into that sin. It starts with an idea, right? It starts with a desire. And you have that lust in your mind. And maybe you're scrolling on your phone and you see something, you click a link that you shouldn't. You see an image, then you click for some more images and it leads you to some videos. You watch those videos and at first you're like, oh, that's bad. But then the next time you go straight to those videos and then you go into even worse videos and in a few years in, you're looking at stuff that if people found out, you'd be ashamed of it. And then maybe it comes into your life. It gives even more birth in your life because a chance encounter might lead to a one night stand or a relationship gets a little too close and then all of a sudden you're having an affair. Your marriage falls apart. Your kids start to hate you. You've lost half your money. Your life is destroyed. Just a little bit of sin at the beginning, right? It's nothing. It's not that big of a deal. Everybody has lust, right? But it grows and grows and gives birth and then eventually will kill you. Satan wants to hide all of that from you. But if you live in that sin, he will devour you. And we... We see like Satan is like deceiving us while he's tempting us because he'll be like, it's just a little sin. It's not that big of a deal. Everybody does it. It's actually legal now, okay? It's okay, right? People just celebrated it for a whole month. It's gotta be okay. And, And we fall into this sin and eventually it devours us and destroys us. And even as I'm saying that, some of you are like, oh, Matt, I don't know if that's that big of a deal. Exactly. Satan has deceived a lot of people into thinking that sin's okay but sin will eventually destroy you from the inside out and lead you into destruction forever. Satan wants to devour you with sin. And my job as the shepherd is to warn you because I love you. And guess what? God loves you. Here's the amazing news. Yes, there is an enemy who wants to devour you with sin, but we have a savior who doesn't care what you've done, what you're doing right now. He loves you. Maybe some of you are online right now. I need you to know that God loves you and he cares about you. Out in the world, they will only accept you and love you if you agree with them. God doesn't care. You're his enemy and he loves you. He cares about you and he knows you're sinning right now. You have sexual uh, attractions and all this stuff. He loves you. He cares about you and he says, come to me just as you are. And there's forgiveness and grace always, no matter how many times we sin. And that's why we cannot keep on sinning and belong to the devil. Instead, we should repent and find grace and forgiveness always and forever in the arms of Jesus Christ. There's an enemy, but he's already lost because God is greater. And I wanna just tell you this too. I love you. Our church loves you. 
Okay, I want you to look to the person on your right and the person to your left, okay? Just do that for a second. That person's a sinner. And I bet you they're a worse sinner than you are, okay? If you're online, okay, let's pan out a little bit, see if we can show some of these sinners to those of you watching online. This place is full of sinners, okay? People who have sinful thoughts, desires. We're all sinners here, and we all come because we don't wanna keep on sinning. We wanna turn instead to Jesus who forgives us and gives us grace. And that's why sinners are very much welcome here. We love sinners. This is for sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners, and so are we. So we don't stay there. We don't get dragged away by sin and allow Satan to devour us. We instead know that Jesus conquers over sin. And that's just the first tactic of Satan. You guys ready for the second one? First service, I joked. I was like, we, this is basically three sermons in one. Okay, so you guys better be prepared for this, right? The second one is even crazier, okay? Satan's second tactic to devour you is sifting. Sifting. This is the idea that, okay, there, there's a lot of junk in our lives. And just like when wheat comes out of the field, you break it down, it's husk, and then you have to sift it to get the flour, okay? Satan wants to sift you to see if there's really anything good inside your life. You see this the most clearly in the book of Job. In the book of Job, in chapter one, verse six, there's this fascinating scene that happens in heaven. It says, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Satan, remember, is a fallen angel. So he's there, he's a supernatural being, and he comes into the presence of God. And in verse eight, it says, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So God points to Job, he says, he is a believer, he worships me, he loves me, he is righteous. Have you thought about him, Satan? And Satan, being the accuser, says in verse nine, does Job fear God for nothing? There's a reason why he loves you, God. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. He's saying, God, you have blessed him. You've protected him. So then he's had a lot of lands, a lot of riches. This is a very wealthy man. He has money because you protected him. And that's the only reason why he likes you, God. Of course, rich people will like you. And then Satan says in verse 11, but now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. God allows Satan to act in our world, to have power. Jesus calls him the prince of this world. Paul says he's the God of this present age, the prince of the power of the air. And God allows him to have some power now. And Satan wants to sift us, to see if we will have faith after everything we have is taken away. This is a scary thought. That Satan wants to sift us to see, will you really believe in God? Or do you just believe in God because he's good to you? Because he blesses you? If I take those away, will you stop believing I don't know if you guys noticed this uh, in the news, but just a few months ago, it was in the news that here in the Denver metro area, there is a um, school 
that was hosting, for the first time, a Satanist club. Did you guys see this in the news? They have to allow it because of freedom of religion, right? But they interviewed the people, and I've seen this actually a bunch of times, that when they interviewed the Satanists, Satanists like, oh, you don't need to worry about us. We don't actually worship Satan. And this is what Satanists always say. Like, we don't actually worship Satan. Because here's the thing, Satan doesn't need you to worship him. He doesn't care. Satan wants you to worship anything or anyone or nothing. Just don't worship God. Satan wants you to worship yourself. Worship the trees, he doesn't care. Just don't worship the one true God. So that's what Satan's trying to do, to sift Job. So what Satan does is brings these natural disasters that destroy all of Job's flock, so all his money is gone, kills his children, and all his children are killed. And Job is left without any money and without any children. And he says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. He continues to have faith in spite of all that. So Satan is mad. In chapter two, verse three, it says, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity. Job has stayed faithful and true to God even when everything is taken away. See, it wasn't depending on what he had. But Satan's mad. Verse four, skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to your face. He's like, Job has his physical health. Of course, he's still happy in worshiping you. Take away his physical health, he'll turn away from you as well. It's verse seven, so Satan went out, or I'm sorry, verse six says, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. He's covered with physical pain, and it's so bad that Job is like trying to scrape it off with a pot shirt, and he just sits there with pain over every square inch of his entire body for days. And Job, you're thinking, oh, is he gonna believe or not? Did Satan sift him and, and get rid of his faith? He even had Job, Job's wife comes up to him and says, curse God and die. Great encourager there, right? God's helper, right? <laughs> curse God and die, that's what she says to Job. And still Job worships God. He praises God. He doesn't turn away because he was sifted and found to have true faith. Satan wants to sift you. Do you really believe? Or if I take away some of your money, some of your stuff, will you walk away? If I take away some of your family, if I hurt someone, will you walk away? If you are physically in pain and suffering, will you walk away? Satan is sifting the whole time. This is one of his tactics. Now, there is some debate whether Satan can physically harm Christians. I, I don't know the answer, but I do know in Luke chapter 13, verse 16, Jesus talks about a woman, a daughter of Abraham, so she's a believer, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years. Do you know how? Because she was crippled for 18 years, physically under affliction for 18 years in suffering. Paul has this thing, we don't know exactly what it is, he calls it his thorn in the flesh that he prays for God to take away and God doesn't. He calls it a messenger from Satan. Perhaps that too was a physical attack, we don't know. 
But what we do know is that Satan will use all sorts of suffering in your life to torment you, and it might even be physical affliction. We had a woman last year um, come to faith in Jesus Christ out of a lot of occult stuff. She had practiced voodoo for a long time and came to be a believer in Jesus Christ, got baptized. And I asked her in preparation for this series like to share some of her story, what it, what it was like, like coming out from the enemy. And the first thing she said was physical affliction. This is something that she had to deal with. She said, before that, like I had this physical affliction for a long time, chronic neck pain, but even after coming to Christ, I still had that pain. And she said, some days I just would wanna lay there and not move, not get out of bed. But she said, I think it was an attack from the enemy. So she started praying and in the name of Jesus, asking God to give her strength. She said, I I would call out and, and say what I am, that I am a child of God, loved and accepted for who I am. And she said, because of that, I would get up and keep moving even with the physical pain. And I would work out so that I could have better physical strength to face whatever I was dealing with. We will face physical suffering even in our lives, all sorts of affliction and all sorts of suffering because Satan wants to sift us. This word sift is actually the word that Jesus calls it in Luke chapter 22. I want you to see this. Luke 22, Jesus looks at Peter. Simon is his name, Simon Peter. Peter was the leader of the disciples and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Do you see that? Satan wants to sift you. And he says to all of them, these are all the 12 disciples, but he's speaking specifically to Peter. He says, all of you have been uh, asked by Satan to be sifted, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Satan wants to sift the disciples to see if they have true faith. So I don't know if you guys knew this, um, but flour doesn't come out of the ground. Did you know that? You might buy it in a bag and it's white and it's good. You can bake with it. But what actually has, when, when you get those kernels of wheat, they would put it and they s- s- crush it. Okay, it's machines now, but it used to be animals or whatever. And then you'd have to put it in something to sift it. Okay, so that you put it all in there and as you shake it, the good flour comes out the bottom, right? And the husk, the kernels of the wheat will stay behind because that's worthless. You don't need that. You just want the flour, So what Satan wants to do is say, is there any good flour inside of you? And he'll shake. And he'll bring things into your life that are really hard, challenging, trials, suffering. And he'll shake some more to see, do you actually have good flour on the other side? Peter himself, who experienced this, right? Who experienced this. In 1 Peter 5, he's able to share some of his own personal insight, having gone through this sifting. He says, but you must resist the devil and stay strong in your faith. You know that all over the world, the Lord's followers are suffering just as you are. Now, a lot of people think this is specifically related to persecution, but the word Peter uses there is suffering, very broad. So that I think it can apply to whatever suffering we have in our life. Hard things happen to us. There is suffering, physical, emotional. Perhaps it is persecution. And when those things happen, Satan is just trying to sift you. Is there anything good? Is there true faith inside of this person or can I lead them astray into unbelief? And what's interesting is Jesus prayed for his disciples. He warned his disciples and every single one of them fell away when he was arrested. Did you know that? They all ran away scared. Peter denied Jesus three times. 
They were sifted and they failed, right? But did you even notice that Jesus says, and when you have failed, then you will be able to strengthen your brothers? He knew that was gonna happen. And he knows that we too will fail at points, that we will suffer and we will be angry at God. And yet still, he forgives us and brings us back. He says, stand up again. You've fallen down, stand up. So that's what I wanna encourage you. Some of you, maybe you've fallen or maybe you're struggling right now. You're suffering. You're physically incapacitated right now and that's why you're joining online. You are suffering, struggling. And I'm telling you, Satan is sifting you right now. Stand firm in the faith. No matter what is thrown your way, stand firm. Be encouraged, be strong. It's Satan, he won't last forever. He's sifting you right now and be found to be the good flower that you are. Because God wants to take it even if you have failed and he wants to make it into some good bread, okay? Even if you're gluten-free, you'll get some almond flour in there. So stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. The enemy, he's already lost and we know who won. We know who won. So that's the second tactic of Satan to devour us is through sifting. But the third one, is the supernatural. If he doesn't devour you with sin, if he doesn't devour you with sifting, he will use the supernatural to devour you and lead you astray. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, there's this passage where Paul says, the coming of the lawless one. We're not going to get into that. He's talking about perhaps the Antichrist. But what so we're not going to focus on that. But what he does say is the one who will be in accordance with how Satan works. Okay, there's a way that Satan works, he's saying, and this lawless one at the end will be like Satan has been doing all along. So how is it that Satan works? He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceive those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. So he's saying there's a way that Satan works. This is his tactics, right? And it is the supernatural, meaning there is an enemy who can perform signs and wonders. These are supernatural things that happen. We don't like to talk about this, but there are supernatural things in our world. And if you think you're too modern and scientific to believe that stuff, well, you don't have to. I could got all sorts of stories for you. So do people around you. Some of you know this. You might not even be a Christian, but you've experienced some crazy stuff in the world. Spirits, all sorts of stuff. There is a supernatural and what's fascinating about the Bible is that it never says there are no other supernatural things out there. It doesn't say there's no magic. It doesn't say there are no ghosts. It doesn't take a stand on a lot of those things. But what it does say is don't get into that stuff. Watch out. There's a point before the Exodus where Moses performs these miracles for God and then the Egyptian miracle workers perform miracles, the same miracles that God did. These magicians are doing stuff. Like, what the heck? Where did that come from? There's a point at the end of Saul's life where he calls on a medium, and it seems very much that a spirit of the dead comes up and talks to him. So the Bible's like not saying that something's real or not, okay? Because there are counterfeits and charlatans all over the place, right? Doing cheap parlor tricks to read your mind and tell your fortune, okay? There are fake. But the Bible doesn't say the supernatural isn't real. It says, watch out for it. Because there's only one true God and anything supernatural outside of that is from the enemy. And it's evil. Watch out. So you don't get devoured. 
In fact, there's like very explicit instructions in the Old Testament to watch out for all of that. Look at a place like Deuteronomy 18. There's all sorts of passages, but here's one. It says, let no one be found among you who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. He probably could have kept on going. He's like, this is all I can think of right now. Here's the list, okay? You can add to that list. You can add to that list. I I was just trying to think, and this is far from exhausted, but but there are like so-called good spirits out there. They're evil. Whether it's fairies, people who practice spells or magic, people who consult the dead, talk to ghosts, mediums, they're on TV now, right? People who are mystics or mystical healers, psychics, palm readers, fortune tellers, tarot cards, Ouija boards, voodoo dolls, crystals, charms, amulets, whatever the statues or objects are that have these spiritual powers. Watch out for all of that. It's evil. And Satan wants to use it to devour you. And it's not just like the Old Testament rules. Look at what happens in Acts chapter 13. Paul is spreading the good news about Jesus and it says that Elamus, the sorcerer, opposed them. Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamus and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? He calls him out in the name of Jesus. And we need to do the same. And if you have practiced any of that stuff or dabbled or played around or maybe it's with your friends from school and you're like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Or maybe you lost a loved one and you really wanna talk with them. I'm telling you, don't do it. And if you have, repent. And if you have any of those objects or tarot cards or anything in your house, you need to get rid of it, to destroy it and burn it. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It might've been passed down from your great grandma, destroy it. Bring it to me and I'll burn it for you. In Acts chapter 19, a whole bunch of those people who had practiced sorcery came to believe in Jesus Christ and they brought their scrolls and books and burned them. And based on the calculations, that stuff would have been worth about $6 million today. But they said, when we come to Jesus, we leave the ways of the enemy behind. We live evil. I talked with a gal, the first service who came out of this kind of stuff, and, and she was telling me about getting rid of tarot cards after first service. That's what we have to do. Because there is evil, there is supernatural. Yeah, there's fake junk too, but there's also a real enemy who wants to destroy you. Somebody once asked me like, well, you know, that stuff just seems like just pure real evil. Like why would people dabble with it? Why would they go into it? But what happens is like at first, it's just like curious. Then it's like playing with your friends. It's kind of fun. And then you actually like have like a good experience and it feels good. It feels right. And then people begin to like rely on that kind of stuff that they needed almost to live their lives. And then if you ever try to leave that, that's when Satan comes out and shows his evil face. And I've talked with a lot of people and their experiences are like that. The enemy, that's when he really shows that he is evil. When you try to leave that behind, he'll come after you. So your enemy wants to devour you through sin, through sifting, or through the supernatural. Are you scared? This is kind of scary stuff to talk about, to deal with. Talk to people that have nightmares, who see things. It can be very terrifying. But the good news 
is that we already know the end of the story. We know who wins because there's someone who's even stronger than our strong enemy. And his name is Jesus Christ. And Satan cannot devour those with Jesus' power. He can't. As strong as the enemy is, as much as he's prowling, looking to devour you in these different ways, he can't win if you have Jesus inside of you and you claim the name of Christ. Do you know what Peter said we need to do? Let's look back at 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. He says, be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And what are we supposed to do? Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Those are kind of synonyms. The word synonymin, okay? Put some cinnamon on there too. Okay. To resist means to stand up against. If an enemy's coming at you, it's not cowering, it's not running away, it's standing up. So it's like, Resist standing. So stand, stand. Get ready to fight. And then Jesus' brother James gives us this incredible promise from scripture. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, same word, resist, and he will flee from you. As strong as our enemy is, as deceitful as he is, he cannot stand up when we resist in Jesus' name. You just take your stand and he will flee from you. He's more terrified than you than you ever would be terrified of him because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You are more than conquerors through him who loved you. We've talked about the armor of God in this series a bunch and it's so important to do it. We talked about the first week, the belt of truth. We need the belt of truth so we can stand against the deceit and lies of the enemy. We need the breastplate of righteousness we learned last week to protect our heart, standing right in the righteousness of Christ so we can't destroy our hearts. We learned to put on the helmet of salvation knowing that we are saved. So even if the enemy whispers in our ear that we are condemned, that we are evil and awful, he can't get to our minds. And today in Ephesians 6, 16, you need to learn to take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Faith is your shield. The enemy's bringing flaming arrows against you. He will try to destroy you and devour you, but no matter what he brings against you, you are protected in faith. Now this shield would have been a Roman shield. And the Romans had these great big shields that would have been as tall as a human being, maybe taller. And they would have had a piece of metal in the middle and then a piece of wood on either side of it. And then they would have wrapped it in cloth and then covered the whole thing with leather. And they would have kept some space in between the different layers. We got some lights going on here. We got some different layers between so that when a flaming arrow hit, the flaming arrow could be extinguished. This is interesting because there were flaming arrows. There's even one story told about a Roman soldier who returned from the battlefield alive with 200 arrows in his shield. Because no matter what the enemy brings against you, if you have that shield in front of you, you are protected, you are safe. That's what faith is. It's the shield of faith because we're believing not that we are strong enough, but that we have someone who's strong enough inside of us. That Jesus has already conquered over the devil on the cross so the devil can bring nothing against us. He might be the prince of the power of the air, but we know someone who created the universe and he is inside of us. Nothing the enemy can bring against you will prevail. And you don't need to learn some magical incantation to cast out a demon, okay? You don't need to learn how to perform an exorcism. Do you know what you need to know? The name of Jesus. 
the name of Jesus. There's this part where Jesus sends out his followers for the very first time. They've been with him the whole time, then he sends them out in Luke chapter 10. And it says that the 72, go back to the, the previous one, the 72 returned. So 72 disciples go out there and it says they returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They're like, this is incredible. In your name, we have the same power that you have. And Jesus replies, verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I was there at the beginning and I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. That's the power Jesus gives to us. That if he's living in us, we can claim his name and we have that power too. That's what faith is. That's the shield of faith. Believing that Jesus' power is stronger than the strongest man in the world, our enemy, the devil. So though that enemy, the lion prowls around, roaring, hungry, looking for someone to devour, you can take your stand. And every time you feel him coming, take that stand and claim in the name of Jesus for him to be gone. A few weeks ago, I was having a rough night. I got a text that really discouraged me. And I was thinking in my mind, Matt, you should hang it up. You should quit. You're not a good pastor. You're not leading this church well. What are you thinking about? And the, this, this voice in my head got worse and worse. I've never like had those thoughts before, but I was like, I should really quit. Like, and then I started to feel this pressure on my chest. And the pressure got stronger and stronger. Melissa was sitting next to me and she had no idea what was going on, but I just was like, man, I better just go to sleep. Maybe tomorrow I'll feel better because I just feel so awful. And then I remembered, I'm like, this is what you've been studying, Matt. And, and just quickly, I said a prayer. I said, in the name of Jesus, be gone. And immediately that pressure left my chest. And immediately I felt better. And I was like, what the heck was I thinking? Because it was the enemy. And I've talked with way too many people, some of you that have way too many similar experiences for me to think it's anything other than the enemy. And he will come after you. Even if you haven't experienced it, even if you think, Matt, you're crazy for talking about supernatural things. We have an enemy who wants to devour you. Beware. But no, you fight not for a victory, but from victory. And Satan cannot devour those with Jesus' power. Stand firm, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And I want us to claim the name of Jesus and get some practice with it. Is that okay? So would you please stand up on your feet? We're going to sing a song that hopefully you know as we learn to speak, to pray, and to sing even the name of Jesus.
your name and we know that your power lives inside of us and we will stand strong against all of the attacks of the enemy amen you may be seated for just a moment if you follow Jesus you have the Holy Spirit inside of you that name of Jesus that power is within you but if you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior you don't and if you want that power, because you have experienced some evil, you've experienced some sin, and you've experienced the destructive power of the enemy, you need to declare that Jesus is your Lord and Savior today. And it says in the scriptures that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we just want to give you an opportunity right now to do that, to declare his name, to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, have him live inside of you, then you will not only have eternal life on the other side of the grave, but you will also have Jesus's power here and now every day. So if you're already a follower of Jesus, I'm, you can say this prayer out loud to give courage to somebody on your left or right who needs to say this for the first time. So would you please close your eyes with me and please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Save me, forgive me. In faith, I declare Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your power. Give me the gift of eternal life and help me to follow you for the rest of my life. Now with eyes closed, if you did pray that prayer for the first time, we wanna celebrate with you. We even have a little gift that we wanna give you. 
So put your hand in the air on the count of three. One, two, three. Put your hand in the air if you made that decision today. Praise God, I see that hand in the back. Let's celebrate with that person if we can get them a book. Let's celebrate. We celebrate with the person who made the decision online earlier. Lord God, we are just so grateful that you are a saving God. You are a loving God. You sent your own son to die in our place. And he rose from the dead with all power so that that power could live in us. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to us in Jesus' name. And we claim that name, the powerful name that is above all names. Amen. Amen.